All right, well, glad to be with you guys today. Um, last week, we started a brand new series called Dumb Things That Smart People Believe. And uh, we are going to continue in that today. Actually, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, just some things that every single one of us have really, if we've grown up in this culture, that we've grown up with that uh, we automatically believe that actually aren't true. And the Bible actually tells us that it isn't true. I mean, think about it. The world is constantly telling us how to think, how to live, what to believe. The world tells us how to define what's right and what's wrong. The world tells us that we should really do whatever, like what we should pursue is whatever feels right to us. And we should do what, really whatever makes us happy. See, our society runs off of emotions. Have you guys noticed that? Some of you have. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Our society is super emotional. And uh, emotions aren't like bad. Our, uh, emotions are good. Actually, I believe that... Uh, that being made in the image of God, which every single one of us, we, we are, I think that being made in the image of God, part of that is God gave us emotions because God's got emotions. We have emotions just like God, but emotions are great indicators for us, meaning they're great to kind of trigger a red light, you know, something could be wrong here or, or anything like that, but they are terrible. Emotions are terrible directors for our life. It's terrible. And it's because of emotions that we are taught in our society to follow our heart. How many of you guys have heard that before? Follow your heart. Just follow your heart, right? It's, uh, we view that as a, as a good thing. We, it sounds like good advice, right? Like we should follow our heart. That sounds so good. It sounds like the right thing to do. And we see it everywhere in really every part of our culture. You know, we, we have it in music. Just listen to your heart, you know. Uh, we have it in, in movies, um, how many of you guys remember this guy? All right? My man, Napoleon Dynamite. I hated this movie when I first saw it because it's not like a real movie. It's like, uh, I don't know what it is. It's just weird. Um, but, uh, but now then you start quoting it and then all of a sudden you're like, it's a good movie you can watch for like 10 minutes and go do something else because there's no point to it. But uh, anyway, um, what, what, does, what does Napoleon tell his friend Pedro? He says, Pedro, just listen to your heart. That's what I would do, you know? It sounds so good to us. Um, and one, another movie, a movie that I loved growing up. I don't know if any of you guys are like me, The Sandlot. All right, anybody, we got any Sandlot people out there? Okay. All right, you know, it's about a bunch of kids playing baseball out in the neighborhood. Um, it's like living every kid's dream for, for a summer. But at one point in that movie, uh, there's one of the kids, one of the main, one of the main characters in the, in the story, I guess. Uh, he has a dream. Remember who shows up to him in that dream? Babe Ruth. All right, the great Bambino, okay? He shows up in the dream, and Beirut shows up to give him some advice. And, and this is what he says. Actually, you could just, just listen to it real quick. Remember, kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Follow your heart, kid. You never go wrong. Did you hear that last part? Follow your heart, kid, and you'll never go wrong. It just sounds so good. It sounds so right, especially in that voice, you know, especially if it's Babe Ruth telling it to you in a dream. It's just so, so good. And it's become really, 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 really normal for us today to believe that. But Jesus tells us something really, 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 really different. And actually, Jesus gives us a warning about following 
our heart. And we all see, we see this kind of happen in Matthew chapter 15. Now Matthew, um, if you're, you're you know, not quite sure who the heck that is, uh, Matthew's one of the disciples. Matthew is there for this conversation that we're going to be looking at. So Matthew is writing this as an eyewitness saying, hey, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what everything meant, but this is what happened. Okay, we see this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. It says, then Jesus was approached by the Pharisees and scribes. I feel like I talk about the Pharisees and scribes every week. Any of you guys feel like that? Like, oh, here we go again. Okay, and, but, uh, but for those of you who haven't, you know, you're new to church or you're new here, Pharisees and scribes, these are just like the ultra-religious people of that day. See, it's so interesting that Jesus comes as, let's say, the, the best religious teacher of all time, okay, he's God, but he never gravitated towards religious people. He gravitated towards the common people, all right? We see this again here as a, just yet another example. So these are the ultra-religious leaders. These are like the elite class. They have money. They're, they make their own rules. Remember how crazy they are? They make rules so they don't come close to breaking their rules, like as a rule, to break a rule, you know, to stop from breaking a rule, which will stop from breaking another rule. I mean, they just had, like, layers of rules, so they wouldn't possibly do anything wrong. And so they come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city, in a sense, of, of Israel. It was the epicenter of the um, Judaism, of the, of the Jewish faith. And so they come from, like, the capital all the way to where Jesus is out in the out in the country, out to a small town, and uh, and they're probably coming in a, probably to to trap him and and try to trick him and that kind of stuff, which never ever ever worked for them. Okay, which is so uh, funny. We see this happening over and over and over again. But uh, anyway, not trap him physically, but trap him with like words, like uh, arguments and stuff like that. So they ask him this question. They say, "Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders?" Uh, Jesus. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, for all of us today, we're all like, <gasps> they don't wash their hands. They're going to get COVID, you know, whatever. You know, we have like our modern mindset where it's like, well, you have to wash your hands. You can't not wash your hands. It's terrible. You know, but you got to remember back then, and that's not even what the Pharisees, these religious leaders are talking about. Back then, it's not like you had a sink or a faucet where you could just let the water run, 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 run. It's just endless water, however much you wanted. It's not what it was. Water was extremely precious, and water was inconvenient to get, and water you drank. You just didn't dump out on your hands onto the ground. That's not what you did. But, the, but these religious leaders had come up with this rule and really had made this rule um, that they should wash their hands, not just to, to, you know, cleanse the dirt off your hands, but it was to make your heart right before God. Uh, that's, that's kind of the reasoning behind, that's the motivation bef- behind that rule. And so they're coming up to Jesus, but this is a rule that everybody knows, and this is the rule that disciples, if they weren't following Jesus, they probably follow this rule, because that's what, to be religious and to be right with God, you had to follow the rule. And so they come up to Jesus, and they're saying, hey, we're watching you, we're watching you guys eat, but your disciples ain't gonna wash your hands. How petty, right? They're not following our rules, Jesus. What's up with that? And the way Jesus replies is he basically says, hey, you guys care more about your rules than doing what's right. You care more about your dumb rules than obeying God. And this is, he says this right after. He says, you hypocrites, points back to the Old Testament. He says, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
Jesus is saying, hey, you know, I, I totally understand. You guys are ultra religious. You follow all the rules. You follow all these traditions. You have all this like ritual stuff that you do, and it's all good. And, and look how good you are. Look how awesome because you, follow, you do all this stuff. He's like, you know all the right stuff to say. You know all the right stuff to do. But you have a big problem that you don't even realize. And that problem is it's not about doing stuff to get to God. It's about, it's about having your heart close to God. And your heart, man... Your heart is far from God. See, what these people had done is they had turned religion into a game. They had turned a relationship with God into a game. Now, we see this all the time in our society, in our culture. I mean, how many churches do you know where it's all about following the rules? Like, you got to do this rule, this rule, this rule. How many churches do you know that uh, it's like you have all these traditional religious rituals that you do. You don't even know why you do it. It's just, well, it's church. This is what we do. Now, how many churches do you know are like that? I would probably guess most of them. But that's not what Christianity is about. That's not how we get close to God. And Jesus, he's pointing this out to them. And as Jesus is talking, a crowd gathers. Now, for the crowd, this is like crazy, like super interesting. How many of you guys have ever... Um, Let's say you're not in the conversation, but you're listening to a conversation. You probably even shouldn't be listening to the conversation. But there's a conversation, like a confrontation going on nearby that you can hear, and so you listen in because it's super interesting. Because it's like, oh, this is getting, you know, interesting. But you don't want to be in that conversation at all, right, because it's awkward and all that kind of stuff. I feel like that's kind of what's going on with this crowd, right? This crowd, they hear, I mean, for them, this is like heavyweight versus heavyweight. You got the ultra-religious leaders from Jerusalem, right, from the capital. I mean, these guys travel far to try to test Jesus on some stuff. And these guys make the rules. I mean, these guys are, are so close with God, all this stuff. They're so religious. And then you got Jesus. He's the up-and-coming newcomer. I mean, he's only been, he's only been uh, on the scene for like two years at this point. And so you got this Jesus guy who's saying all this crazy stuff, and, and it's, but it sounds good and it seems right. And then you got these guys who are all about following the rules, and now they're clashing. Everybody wants to hear what's going on. I remember a couple years ago doing youth ministry in Fremont after one of the nights that we had, uh, we had a, uh, someone come visit us the next day, which happens sometimes, and it was a mad dad, okay, right? Sometimes you get mad dads. And, uh, and he came, and he wasn't upset with me. Awesome. I'll take that any day. He was upset with another youth pastor, okay? And it was just kind of stupid what he was upset about. And so... He comes in, and, and he's talking to this, to this youth pastor a couple doors down from, from my office, and the guy starts raising his voice so you can kind of hear it. And I'm not like, oh, no, poor coworker. I won't say his name. I'm going, this is awesome, right? Like, man, he's getting rained out by this dad, and it's about something so stupid. And, but I'm like, I'm like kind of, I'm like, this is great. And uh, actually, that conversation ends, and we do that sometimes, by the way. It's not just me, so don't even act like it's just me, right? Because sometimes it's just fun to hear a confrontation. I don't know if it's right, but it's fun. Um, but, uh, but that conversation ended with the dad challenging this pastor to go out in the parking lot for a fight, okay? You're just like, what, what is happening? You know, come on, man. All right, we're pastors. We're not supposed to fight, you know, that type of thing. But... Uh, you know, it's just fun. It's, I think it's one of those times. 
The crowd's listening. They hear what's going on. They're like, oh, Jesus, oh, man, the religious leaders. And they're, they're, they're listening to what's happening. They're going, ooh, you know, all this stuff. And Jesus actually invites them to listen. This is what Jesus says. He says, somebody in the crowd, he's like, yeah, listen in. I got something for all you guys. He says, he's told them, he says, so now he's not just talking to these religious leaders. Now he's talking to everybody. He says, listen and understand. He's like, listen up. All right, like you would tell your kids, listen, listen, listen up. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. He's, he's bringing it back to their original question. It's not about, you know, eating or, you know, germs or whatever like that. It's not about what goes into the mouth that, that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. He says, this is actually what defiles a person. And he's talking to the entire crowd. He's basically saying, hey, what comes out of the mouth is actually it mirrors what's on the inside. And it's what's on the inside that matters. And I think when Jesus did this, this is how I picture it. I don't know. It's not in the Bible. But I think he just drops his mic, and he walks off. See ya. And you know what his disciples are doing? They don't even understand what he's saying, but they're just like, I'm with this guy. What's up? You know, see ya. You know, they walk off and they follow him. They don't even know what's going on. They don't know what he said. They don't know what, you know, they're like, okay, that was... Hey, that's, that was powerful. All they know is that Jesus won. All right, Jesus won the fight. And Mark tells us, because this whole story is in the book of Mark too, as a, um, he records this for us too. But uh, in Mark 7, we, we find out that they actually go to it. They walk to a nearby house, probably a house that they were staying at. And they all gather into this house. And, um, and the disciples, they're, they, they're like, what just happened? And this is what they say. It says, then the disciples came up and they told him, they're talking to Jesus, they say, do you know? Probably not the way you want to ask a question to God. Okay, hey, God, I don't know if you perceived this or caught on to this like I did, but, you know. He says, do you know that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, took offense when they heard what you said? Oh, did they? Next slide. He says, this is what Jesus answers them. He says, leave them alone. He's like, don't, don't, don't talk about them. Or he, he's like, don't, don't go after them or don't listen to them. He says, they are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, Jesus is saying, there's going to be a problem, right? Both are going to fall into a pit, he says. Now think about what's going on here. The religious leaders, they're doing what they think is right, right? I mean, they're doing what they believe is right, what they feel is right. They're washing their hands. Uh, or, you know, well, washing their hands, it's not like an evil thing. We, we get that, right? Because all of us, in theory, do that. Um, it's not an evil thing. But what Jesus is pointing out to them, he's saying, hey, putting some rule, even if it's a rule that's, even as whatever you're doing, is, it has good motives behind it. Even in your mind, if it's like, well, this is a good thing, so we're going we're gonna to do this. He says, putting some rule above God, he's like, man, that's sin. That's not good. See, these religious people, they're supposed to be the, the guides to the country. Really, they're set in place to, to guide the world to God. And Jesus points at them, and he's like, man, they're blind. And you follow them, they're just going to lead you to trouble. So after this blind comment, disciples are just like, okay, didn't know that. Um, you know, if they're blind, then I'm definitely blind because they're ultra-religious people. And, and, and Peter speaks up because that's what Peter does. He's the loud mouth, like, you know, just blurts it out. All right, this is what he says. He's just like, um, 
explain this parable to us. Jesus, we don't know what you're saying. Just explain this a little bit more, right? Help us out. Next verse, this 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 is what Jesus says, and this is so, so, so important, so focus in. He says, do you still lack understanding? It's funny because we read this, I think a lot of times it's, uh, you know, we think, whoa, Jesus is like getting mad here. You know, it's like, you know, it's almost like we feel like Jesus is like, hey, are you still an idiot? You know, you still don't get it? Come on, man. Um, But I don't think that's what's going on here. It's like sometimes, have you ever sent a text message where you type something and then it's taken in the wrong tone? You know, because it's text, they can't understand your tone. They kind of make it up. You interpret the tone. Does that happen? Okay, it's happened to me like a million times. It's always bad. But uh, anyway, so it's, it's kind of like that with the Bible once in a while. I think sometimes we read what Jesus says and we're like, we, we assign him a tone, but we don't know, all right? I don't, maybe he was. Maybe he was getting on Peter. But I'd like to think he, he kind of looks at him, he kind of smiles, because I think Jesus knows, it's, you know, it's a little bit confusing. He's just like, you still don't get it, Pete? Come on, Pete. I've already explained it to you twice. I gotta, all right, we'll do three times. And he says, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? All the disciples are like, yeah, okay, yeah, we, we know that. Right? Don't need to go into any more detail there. And he says, but, but what comes out of the mouth, he says, comes from the heart. Okay. And he says, this defiles a person. Now, this is, this is the important part, right? This is what Jesus says to us, and this is what Jesus says about our hearts. My heart, your heart, all of our hearts. He says, for from the heart, from our heart, come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, meaning lies, slander. He says, these are the things that defile a person. He's like, that's the problem. These are the things their issue. Mark, he actually adds in a couple more things that Jesus says. He's like, yeah, Matt, you, you know, Matthew, you didn't get it all. You skipped a couple. Here, here's a couple more. Mark says, Jesus also said greed and self-indulgence in our heart and envies in our heart and prides in our heart and foolishness is in our heart. Foolishness is just bad judgment, a dumb decision. He's like, all that comes from our heart. All that's in our hearts. He's saying the source of the things that we say and the source of the things that we do and the things that we think and the things that we believe. He's like the source is all of our, it all comes from our heart. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, well, I don't know about all that. But like, you know, sometimes I, uh, you know, I'll say something that I don't mean. Well, no, 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 no. It's not that you don't mean to say them. It's that you don't mean, or sorry, it's not that you don't mean them, but it's you don't mean to say them. See, it came out of you because it's in you. In those moments, it's your heart that's showing. It's the real you that shows. You're not holding it back. See, if we truly examine ourselves, if we truly examine ourselves, we see how just messed up our hearts truly are. So, so jacked up. See, your heart, that's what's at the center of your thought, your feelings, your moral life. I mean, your heart is you, and my heart is me, and it's a confusing mess. And if you're still doubting, if the, the, well, you know, because that's what we do. We doubt. We, we think to ourselves, well, I'm a pretty good person. Like, I've done, I've done like, more good than I have bad, and, and so I'm generally good, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. But let's say this. If somehow we're able to do this, if I could take your heart 
and, and, uh, and play it up on the screen for all of us to watch, like a week-long, you know, movie of your heart. How terrible would that be? If we could all see everything you thought about every person for a week, everything you thought about someone in traffic or about the virus or about political leaders or everything you thought about your friends, that's bad, or everything you thought about your coworkers, or everything you thought about your boss, well, boss is off limits, right? We're allowed to think bad about them. Everything you thought about your spouse, everything you thought about your kids, everything you thought about that person who, who you're not married to, feeling good when someone above us falls. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying your heart is so evil. My heart is so evil. He's like, it's the heart. That's what makes people break up their family in pursuit of another relationship, in pursuit of happiness. He's saying it's the heart. That's what, get, that's what convinces people to give up the most important aspects of their life in pursuit of a career. It's your heart that convinces you to, to talk negative or to talk bad about other people around you. He's saying we have a heart problem, and inside we are all naturally so evil, so broken, so messed up. And when we follow our heart, it always, 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 always leads to misery. Do you know there's a whole book of the Bible kind of dedicated to this, to following your heart, doing what's right, what you think is right? It's actually the book of Judges. If you're bored reading the Bible, all right, wherever you're reading, you should go read the book of Judges because it's exciting and it's crazy and there's a bunch of stuff that happens. And, um, and a lot of it's like kind of graphic, but, uh, but you should go read that. It's also a short book, so yay for that. Um, but uh, but the, the whole story of the judges happens in is- with Israel. Uh, Israel is, are their slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and then God raises up a man named Moses, and Moses leads them out of Israel. You got the, the plagues and Pharaoh and the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then they all disobey God, so they wait out in the, in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation dies off, including Moses. After Moses dies and that whole generation dies, um, God raises up another man. His name is Joshua. We've probably heard of Joshua. He, and he, God uses him to lead the people of Israel into um, the, this land that God has promised them for, for generations. And so they go in this land. They conquer most of it. They do almost all of what God says, but not quite. And, uh, and so they live in the land. They have peace until Joshua dies. And when Joshua dies and the rest of that generation dies, um, the Bible tells us that a new generation rises up or grows up, and uh, this generation decides to leave, almost as a whole, they decide to leave God and do their own thing. Now, this period of time is about 300 years long, and it's called the Judges period. And so you got Israel. There's 12 different tribes of Israel, and they all have their own, like, segment of land. And this is what happens. Actually, the last story, well, throughout the book of Judges, it's constantly this, they're in this cycle of, of the people would leave God and do their own thing and worship fake gods and do really whatever is right within their own life. And uh, when, things got, uh, when things were bad, God would punish them by allowing a neighboring country to come in and overtake them and overthrow them and all this bad stuff would happen to them. And then when it got bad enough, they would cry out to God. Does that sound familiar? This is what happens in our lives. It gets bad enough, they're like, God, help us, help us, help us. I know we don't give you enough time and we don't worship you like we should, but help us now. And God would do it. 
He would raise up a judge or a hero, in a sense, in Israel. And they would lead the nation of Israel in a revolt against, uh, against their neighboring countries. And then that judge would also point everybody back to God. And uh, Israel would have peace for about 40 years or so after that um, or whenever the judge died. And then when the judge would die or when the hero would die, uh, Israel would go back into the cycle of, of doing whatever they thought was right in their own eyes, following their heart, essentially. And so this is throughout the whole book of Judges, just over and over and over and over again. It's just, it's just bad, and then it gets good, and then it gets bad, and then it gets good, and it's just this endless cycle. But at the end of this book is this story where there is no happy ending. The book doesn't end happy. Actually, it ends horrifying. And it's all about this guy who has this wife, and his wife, she does what is right in her own eyes. Actually, it's more like a concubine, if, you know, so... So then a wife, but uh, he's got this wife, and she ends up leaving him. She runs away and goes back to her father's house. And so she's doing what's right in her own eyes. And so he waits a few days, and he goes back to her father's house to retrieve her. And, uh, and he waits there for about a week. And after about a week, he and his wife, they leave to go back home. Well, they don't make it home. Right? They, they don't make it home before dark, and so they have to stay in this, in this town for, for the night. And the town's name is Gibeah. And when they're there, they go out to the city square, and they just wait for someone to kind of take them into their house. That was their culture back then. That was completely normal. Um, that would be super weird today if we all, you know, if we were traveling through Tiffin and you met in front of the Justice Center and just waited for someone to take you into their house. Um, we don't do that because that's weird. Um, but, uh, but back then, that was completely normal. So that's what they're doing. They're waiting out in the town square. Nobody from Gibeah wants to take him in except for this older, this old guy who comes in from the field. He comes up to him. He's the only one. And he's like, hey, you know, whatever you do, don't spend the night out here. Really bad. He's like, come into my house. And so they follow him, and they stay with, they plan on staying with him for the night. But a couple hours later, this angry mob comes up to this guy's house, and they're banging on the door. And they're like, hey, we know that you have a visitor in there. We know that there's a guy, a foreign guy, you know, here. And, and they're like, you need to send him out so that we can rape him. Just terrible stuff. Everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. Everybody is following their heart. This old man's just like, He's like, no, 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 don't, don't do this. This is such an evil, evil thing. You know, you cannot do this. And in the meanwhile, the, the husband, he takes his wife and he shoves her out the door and closes the door. And the men abuse her all night of the city. Just terrible, terrible, terrible stuff. Everybody's doing what's right to them. Well, in the morning, she crawls her way to this guy's house and kind of collapses on, let's say, the porch. And when this husband comes out of the house... He, uh, he sees her, he picks her up, he lays her on his donkey, and he keeps going. It doesn't seem to help her at all. We don't see anything like that, and the, the Bible doesn't tell us, but he keeps going, and they make it home. Well, when he gets home, she's already dead. And this guy's furious. Now, this is his, his wife, right? No matter, not that he treated her well, but the, this is his wife. And so he wants justice. And so he's doing what's right in his eyes. He's doing what's, what feels right to him following his heart. So he takes her, and it's a little graphic, but he cuts her up into 12 pieces. And then he sends them out to the 12 tribes of Israel, to the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, saying, hey, we got a problem in our country. Well, when the 12 tribes of Israel gets this, all the leaders, they are furious because they don't understand how something like this could ever happen. They're like, this has never happened before. This is horrible. What is happening? So they all meet at this guy's house and like, hey, what have you done? And this guy's like, it's not me. 
right? It's, it's this town, this town. They murdered my wife. They abused, they murdered my wife all night. And, and it's, it's the men of Gibeah. And so they all turned to the tribe of Benjamin. That's the tribe that, that was, Gibeah was a part of. And uh, the tribe of Benjamin, they're like, hey, you know, we're not, they're like, hey, you need to turn these guys over so we can put them to death, so we could give this, this lady justice. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. They're our relatives. We're not just going to turn over some of our relatives to you so you, could just, so you could just put them to death. We're not doing it. And so Benjamin calls out their army of this tribe, one of the 12 tribes, and they surround the city and actually defend the city. And then so Israel, the 11 remaining tribes, they call out their armies, which is way bigger. And, uh, and they're like, all right, we're going to have to go to battle. So they go to Gibeah and they, they have this battle. And the first day, the Bible tells us that 22,000 of the Israelites end up dying. And Gibeah defends itself. And so they get defeated. So the next day they try again. 18,000 more men die. And then on the third day, they attack again. And finally, they defeat Benjamin and Gibeah. And they slaughter the entire army, or almost the entire army. Over 25,000 Benjaminites, warriors, die. But the Israelites don't stop there because everybody is doing what's right in their eyes. Everyone's doing what feels good to them. So they keep going. They slaughter everybody in the town, men, women, children, every, animals. The Bible tells us they slaughter everybody. And then they go from town to town to town to town in the land of Benjamin. And they put everybody to death. Anybody they can find, they kill them all until there's only 600 warriors left in one tiny little town. No children. This is just or women. This is just men. And they're held up in one last town. And the, the Israelites realize, hey, we've, we've defeated them. They've paid their dues because they're, you know, whatever's, whatever's right to them. And they make this oath saying, hey, we will never, ever, ever give our, our daughters over to you as wives. So you guys are stuck. Well, then a few months go by. And Israel starts to mourn. They start realizing what they've done. They're like, we almost just deleted, you know, wiped out an entire tribe, one of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And so they get together and, and they're like, hey, we got to do something for this man. They don't have, you know, they can't, you know, have babies. You know, there's, there's no women and, and we can't give our wives, our daughters over to them as wives. So they ask around. They're like, hey, is there any towns that didn't help us fight? They actually find a town that didn't send any warriors for the battle. And so they go to that town and they, they kill everybody except for the young unmarried women. They take those women. There's about 400 of them. They take them to these men at this last town and they say, hey, here's your wives. We took care of it for you. Well, there's still 200 guys left who are like, yeah, I want, I want a wife, you know. And, uh, and so they go, and, um, and they, they tell them, hey, you know, we can't freely give you our daughters, but during, there's a festival coming up, and during the festival, the, you know, women and everybody will be out in the streets, and he's saying, you can come, and you can kidnap any lady, any woman, unmarried woman that you want, and you can take them back home, and that could be your wife. And when the, the fathers get upset, and when they cry out for justice, we'll, like, ease it over with them. Just terrible, terrible, terrible stuff. This is how the book of Judges ends. This is uh, generation after generation of people who follow their heart. Actually, this is what the Bible says in, in Judges. This is how the book ends. He says, in those days, like if you, just in case you didn't get it the last 20 times that it was mentioned in this book. He says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Everybody followed their heart. There are no good guys in this story. Everybody is doing evil. Everybody is taking vengeance. I mean, the assembly that gathers, 
right, for justice for this, for this abused and murdered woman, which, which is right. They should gather for justice. They go and they end up wiping out or almost wiping out an entire tribe. And then they plan for the kidnapping and the, and the marriage of, the, of these young ladies. I mean, I mean it's, just, it's just terrible. And I think our temptation today is to feel morally superior to these people. And we're not. I mean, we're not. What's in their hearts is the same thing that's within our hearts. See, we look at them, we're like, well, women were treated like property back then, and men were trying to rape men, and men raping women, and murder, and people defending their family, even though their family did this horrible, horrible stuff. And then you have the war, and then you have 65,000 people end up dying, and, and everybody's doing what feels right to them, and everyone is, is following their heart. But we have no room to feel superior to them. Because we, too, have normalized following your heart. I mean, in our country, it's, it's normal to identify as the opposite sex. You get to choose your gender. Right? It's, it's, you can make up a gender. I, was, I actually was reading online. There was a, a guy who's a model who um, he wanted to be a genderless alien. He's got all this, like, plastic surgery stuff done to him. And, and that's what the world tells us. The world says, hey, if you feel that way, that's good. You just do, you just do your thing. Whatever makes you feel right. In our country, it's normal to have an affair on your husband or wife. It's normal, right, to destroy our family for whatever we deem as happiness for ourselves. In our country, it's normal, or in our society, it's normal to have sex with multiple people. It's normal to get online and, and just blast people in public. It's like social media has given us the ability to show, the really, you know, broadcast what's truly in our heart behind a computer screen. Oh, I got them good. Yeah, got the meme, you know. We just show everybody what's in our heart in a public setting. In our country, we have normalized the killing of 3,000 babies a day in the United States. And the world is 125,000 babies over that, actually, a, a day statistically. And I'm not trying to get political. It shouldn't even be a political issue. It's just a moral issue. We're so, and I know some people are sitting there, you're like, well, I disagree with it, and I, I, I'm, I'm against abortion and all this kind of stuff, but we're so used to it that it just doesn't grieve us anymore. It just doesn't bother us like it should. See, in our society, it's normal to do whatever seems right to us. In our society, it's normal to follow our heart, and that's the same problem that the Bible uh, points out in Israel's history. It's the same problem that our society glorifies, always telling us to follow our heart. And you know what makes it tricky? What makes it tricky is that wrong and sin can feel so right. Notice in the story, it's not that everyone did wrong and knew they were doing wrong and were okay with it. Like, I know this is wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. We do that sometimes. It wasn't like that. It was everybody did what they thought was right. See, the truth is, if you follow your heart to happiness, I mean, that's our goal, it always, always ends in misery. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. Like the heart is just full of lies. It's more deceitful than anything else and incurable, right? Some translations they say um, is uh, desperately sick, which I, I like. He's, Our heart is desperately sick. He's saying, who can understand it? 
Right? This isn't some like feel-good sermon where we all walk out of here going, woohoo, you know, I'm so good, right? I guess my main point today is I just want us to be aware of it. I don't got like 10 steps to make your heart clean and, and, and to fix this and fix this and fix this. And I don't got anything like that. I just think we need to be aware. We just need to be aware that our heart is a terrible guide, aware of how bad our heart actually is. And I think that understanding the wickedness of our heart actually shows us how important our relationship with God is. So the Bible says that when we choose to begin a relationship with God, God actually moves into our heart, which is awesome, and he becomes a part of us. And Satan starts working on our heart. Not Satan. Did I say Satan? That's not good. <laughs> what is wrong? You know, God starts, don't tell anybody. Don't tell AJ. <laughs> God starts working on our heart. And he starts changing our heart and molding our heart. And, and sure, we're not perfect and we're never going to be perfect on this side of, of death. But, uh, but God begins to point out the little problems with our heart and he begins changing it. I mean, I've said this a million times that, that the closer I get in my relationship with God, the farther I realize that I am from him. I don't know where you're at. And I don't know what you believe. I don't know what you, what you think. But maybe, I don't know, maybe you feel that tug today. Maybe you realize that God truly doesn't have your heart. He hasn't started working on your heart. Maybe the problem is you haven't invited him into your heart. The Bible says that every single one of us, we all have we're all under the same boat in the sense is that we all have a decision whether we follow God or not. And it's just a one-time decision. Uh, it's, do, we, do we want God to be a part of our life or not? And every week I talk to people that have never made that decision yet. And if you haven't, it's super easy. It's not between you or anybody else. It's just between you and God. And you don't need me or, you know, or any other person pastor to, to, to lead you there. It's just you talking with God and believing that God came down and died for you on the cross, but died for you for everything you've ever done wrong because you couldn't pay for everything you, done, you did wrong. You can't pay for it. You had an unpayable debt, but he paid it, and it cost him something. And then it's just inviting him in. It's not about doing a bunch of good stuff. It's not about, oh, I hope my good outweighs my bad. It's about inviting him into your heart. And for those of us that have, we've done that, which is maybe most of us. How do we know what's right? Like, how do we make decisions? We can't trust our heart. Like, what are we supposed to do? So God gave us a tool, and that's the Bible. Scripture is his word. All right, God's given us this message saying, eh, just do this, run. The Bible should be our filter on things. See, our Bible, the Bible doesn't change with our emotions. It doesn't change whether we're having a really good day or a terrible day. It's the only truth. It's what keeps us grounded because we're all over the place. And so we should probably be in it a little bit more. But following our heart is like following a blind, untrustworthy guide. Something we cannot trust. And so I think we just need to be aware. On the opposite, we have the Bible, which is a perfect guide. Let's pray.
God, we, um, we thank you for this. And Lord, it's so easy for us to follow our hearts, so easy to kind of fall into that trap. But that's not truth. It's not right. It's not, it, it sounds so good, but it's wrong. And that's how sin is. Sin is tricky. But God, we ask that uh, you would help us because really we can't do it without you. But you would help us to look towards you instead of following what we feel is right. Because you never change. And you, you don't change based on what's going on in our life like our emotions do. God, you're always true. And you are truth. And your word is truth. And we thank you for giving that to us, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.